0: I can't believe we're getting so emotional. I'm sorry. (laughs) Wow. It rattles you.
1: I would definitely want to share this book with both of my children. I come from Colonia.
0: From Australia. From Maryland. I am from Venezuela.
1: I'm actually from England. The Opportunity by Joel
0: Ackerman. A boy in a tree looked out to the sea. A sea which washed up to the shores of a city. A city which sat in the shade of a hill, whereupon stood one tree. Which the boy lay in steel. All of the illustrations are so beautiful too. I really liked the eyes. You sort of see a lot in that. He took the same spot on his (laughs) favorite (laughs) limb. It's a kick in the pants. Incredibly spiritual and meaningful and
1: psychologically healing. The boy
0: gazed a
1: goodbye to his
0: old faithful tree. His friend who had held him as he gazed at the sea. (laughs) Oh. That was beautiful.
1: That was rough.
0: No pages, no pages
1: left.
0: It really ended like that.
1: It just like opens your eyes to things. It, it is very, it is, it's deep. I think this book um, is very relevant today and is much um, in a different league from a lot of the, ch- the books coming out. I'm thinking children's books. Uh, I wish we could have movies like this, animation
0: like this. I related to it. <laughs> just in a lot of ways how in my own life I ran back to what was comfortable.
1: I have in my life experienced experience that as well.
0: So, This book makes me want to go towards my dreams. Uh, this book's important because it doesn't. It's real about the opportunities of life. That sometimes when they're gone, they're gone. Welcome to the Creative Writing Magic Podcast. Today's guest is Joel Ackerman. He's an author, producer, director, singer, songwriter, and speaker from Vancouver, Washington. And today we'll be discussing his latest writing project, The Opportunity. Joel, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Randy.
0: And how's the weather today out in the Pacific Northwest?
1: Actually, today it is beautiful. This whole winter has been much less rainy than uh, past winters. Um, beautiful day. Great day for baseball.
0: Excellent. So the Mariners are getting, getting ready?
1: Mariners are getting ready, but more importantly, my son, who's playing uh, Little League, is getting ready.
0: Excellent. Yeah, less rain in the Pacific Northwest uh, probably is a good thing.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's, you know, the less moss in my yard is the best thing.
0: <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so, Joel, before we get started, I just want to say thank you for being the guest on the show today.
1: Sure. Of course. Thanks for having me.
0: And before we get into your book, uh, tell me about your creative agency, Acromania, and the projects you've been directed and produced over the years.
1: Sure. So Ackermania or Acromania Creative is uh, a video online video agency. We create uh, branded content for brands. So um, our most famous stuff is the some videos for Poopery. and uh, but we've done videos for Red Bull or um, a brush and a whole lot of other brands. Our specialty is kind of Uh, working with brands that you've never heard of until we create a video for them. And then we've been able to uh, earn big returns. So we did a video for dollar beard club that uh, earned them $1 million in one month. Uh, We, we tripled poopery's revenues initially tripled their not just sales revenues, but their entire company revenues. Um, so, yeah, we just create kind of zany viral style ads for businesses that we run on YouTube and Facebook and theoretically Instagram, those kind of things, and and uh, had a lot of success doing that.
0: Yeah, as I was looking through your website, I saw the video for Poopery, and I uh, remembered that funny moment kind of when everyone was talking about that particular commercial. So good job on that one. Thank you. Um, so, how did you come up with the idea for the opportunity?
1: So, uh, yeah, the opportunity is very, very different, you know, than um, the stuff that I've written for commercials. Right? It's kind of uh, the opportunity is a is a picture book that's um kind of a illustrated allegory. And a cautionary tale. So it's it's got a more serious tone than most of the things that I create for, for brands. And how I came up with it is um, I had just finished. I had been an itinerant preacher traveling in the Midwest. And I just finished two years of that. Come home, decided to go to school. And was working at an insurance uh, office selling insurance. But for some reason I got home. Uh, kind of in the early afternoons and, um, I just, it just came to me, the image of a boy in a tree looking out to the sea and those words, a boy in a tree looked out to the sea came to me. And then the whole story just kind of came, I'd say like revelation. It just came to me and I started writing out, okay, um, okay. And it was interesting looking at my notes. I didn't know from the beginning that the ship was going to be named the opportunity because basically the story is the boy is in this tree waiting for this famous ship that everyone's heard of in this, in this land, this fictional land, this famous ship with golden sails that's been all over the world. And it's set to come pick up this boy to take him away, to make his fortune that day. And so he's highly anticipating this, this event. Um, and, but all this just kind of came to me. Normally when I write, it's a construction and I have to like, uh, you know, I, I have a a seed of an idea, but I go, all right, that doesn't work. And uh, I need something here. And you know, it's, it's really a lot of, of work and building block by block. This was just like came and it was really remarkable and not necessarily the writing of it because it's written in verse and so the writing of it was more uh, more work you know that that can be difficult but the the storyline just flowed. I wrote it literally in one sitting and didn't change it from there as far as the plot line and so um Anyway, I, that's probably more than what you were looking for.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's always a really good thing when you can write an entire book in one sitting. Usually, well,
1: well yeah, it wasn't the, the the whole book; it was just the storyline. You know, gotcha. What
0: so, but, growing up, were you always into creative writing, or did it develop later on?
1: Always. So, the fr- from before I was in kindergarten, really, from before I was. I could write I was into writing and the story behind that is I remember and I remember this I I can see it in my mind going into my dad's home office when I was I, I must have been three or four um and seeing him type on his computer while he was working and he wasn't writing anything exciting he's a marketing guy and very good at it but and that's where I get my marketing knowledge but but he was just typing on the computer and I remember seeing his fingers tapping away on the keyboard and then looking up at the screen and seeing the words, you know, scroll across the page. And I realized he's making those words, you know, and they're coming from his mind through his fingers and they're now in the world so that everyone can, can read them. And so I said, dad, I want to write. And I'm sure he didn't do it then, but later he sat me on his lap and I I would tell him what to say and he would type it. And I remember thinking it was so thrilling. So I, so like I just would write books from then on, um, you know, have him type them for for whatever. If it was my brother's birthday and say, I want to give him a book and I'd write something and it wouldn't have anything to do with my brother or, or, Anything it would just be me rambling, and the cool thing is he he kept those books in you know he wrote them verbatim, so you can hear the child the child's poor grammar in them, and you know they, he didn't force me into making a good story or a plot or anything like that, so they're very terrible books, actually, but you know those were the the beginning and then once I found that I could write, you know, starting in uh, first grade, I can remember writing poetry, my first poem, uh, you know. So, so anyway, I've always been and – then, and then all throughout elementary school, I wrote – I remember even in middle school and high school, occasionally I'd be so captivated by something that I was writing that I would even turn down going to do something with friends to stay home to write, which I remember even then thinking, this is crazy. What am I doing? I, I have all my life to work and write, uh, you know, why am I turning down doing something with friends? But, but when you're really captivated by what you're doing, it's, it, it's fun like that.
0: Absolutely. And that sounds really inspirational that your father was able to kind of show you the ropes so early on.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was cool. Again, he, he wasn't in, he doesn't do much creative writing, but it was the principle of possibility. I saw, I saw him writing. And so he really did give me the confidence. That was the other thing. Even though his wasn't creative writing, I learned a lot of people think, Oh, it's not practical to be a writer. And I've, And he really showed me, yeah, it is practical to be a writer. You can write and make a living at it.
0: Yeah, such a great message for a little kid. Yes. And speaking of as you were a little kid, uh, did you have any authors or stories that you admired back then?
1: Absolutely. So, uh, always have loved Dr. Seuss. Um, I mean, I guess that's cliche because most kids do. And I really loved. Frog and Toad, as well, by Arnold Lobel. Um, So, and I still, to this day, love poetry, which is the Dr. Seuss influence. And I love animal stories, also. Now, by the way, The Opportunity is not an animal story, but um, some people have compared it to uh, Dr. Seuss. In fact, I had one person read it and say, this is like Dr. Seuss meets Shakespeare which was a very high compliment. And I don't know if it's even accurate, but it was very nice of them to say. But, um, so yeah, when I was really young, uh, those two, and then as I got older, I really loved uh, The Little Prince. was a very kind of transformational book, I think, um, for me. And, you know, I, I read things like, uh, the Red Wall series. And I uh, again, I loved animal stories. So I, so I one of my favorite books of all time after The Little Prince probably is Watership Down. Um, but then there's also, you know, I mentioned that I was an itinerant preacher, you know, the, the, the scriptures, the Bible and and other scriptures have been really formative on me as well. So all of that together has kind of made me the writer I am.
0: Yeah, and that uh, Dr. Seuss meets Shakespeare comment, uh, I mean, that's a real honor. That's- <laughs> yes, I, I, I thought so too. And I like animal stories as well. In fact, the first book that I wrote as a 12 year old was an animal story, so that's really close to my heart.
1: Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't know why. There's something so magical about animals that talk. I always say, I hope in the next life that animals get to talk, you know, and I'd really love it if they wore clothes and did all that too, but I'm not, I'm not holding my breath for that.
0: <laughs> that would be a sight to see. <laughs>
1: yeah. All our dreams coming true.
0: So Joel, uh, you talked about how you had just one sitting where you kind of came up with the story for the opportunity. Tell me about your writing routine. Do you like to, go to coffee shops, quiet living room. How do you like to write?
1: Um, Coffee shops are not the best for me because I'm easily distracted. In fact, I've learned that the best writing situation for me, although I don't, don't love this, but it it is the most effective, the most writing, the most effective writing situation is in a, Empty blank room, you know, desk, chair, either computer or pen and paper, which I I like to write a lot in longhand and nothing on the walls. So I, and I learned this by, I have a library at home where I have, where I do a lot of my writing and I used to, I used to orient myself like you normally would in a, in a home office where you're facing the door right? It's always how people orient their offices. They're, they're facing the door. So if someone comes in, they can see them, you know, but I learned that I would spend too much time looking at my books, you know, which are, and so I turned around now I'm turned around in my office when I write. So my face is toward the window. And if anyone comes in, and wants to stab me in the back, they can because I won't see them because I'm, my back is to the door. And now I do all my writing so that I am not distracted. Don't have a painting in front of me. Don't have anything just out the window. And sometimes that's even distracting because the sky is beautiful or the trees or whatever. But yeah, that's my... So that's where I write. And then in terms of the routine... I try and write at least an hour a day, and if I do more then that's great, but I figure even if I'm writing and it's terrible, I can put up with that for an hour so least write an hour a day and I try and do that and when i'm you know right now i'm I'm in the midst of the distribution or the the launch of the opportunity, so a lot of my time has been spent on that so I don't always get the hour a day, but I try
0: to. Yeah, that's really impressive. What a, what a great routine. So, Joel, what inspires you to continue writing? Uh,
1: I think I'm compelled to, you know. It's because the truth of the matter is, like I said, if, if I'm writing and it's terrible, uh, it's not very much fun. And then there's even like if I'm writing and it's great, then the there's it's still not very much fun sometimes because you'll finish it you'll share you'll share with someone and maybe they don't give you the response you hoped for even though you read it and you go this is great uh so and and because the opportunity is really my first uh foray into into you know getting a book physically published and shared although it's I've shared lots of things uh other ways but not in a physical book form um you know it ha, it's it, there's not a lot of uh, i guess satisfaction in the response but and so I, i've even thought well maybe you know maybe i shouldn't waste my time on this or whatever and i have those kind of thoughts but i always come back to well the kind of stories that i want You know that that really excite me are not out there. I mean, there are some obviously. There's plenty of plenty of sources and I love literature, but there's so many ideas that I guess what I'm saying is the idea takes hold of me, and I have it's like I have to give it expression. Otherwise, I'm torn up inside, much worse than anything else. So I've even written, uh, you know, I have written some films, and some of those films I know will never get made. They're just not practical. There's not a big enough audience. But I had to write them to get rid of the inner frustration of them not existing in the world. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I can definitely say that a lot of writers out there know exactly what you're talking about when you think that your work is awesome and then you're not getting the reaction that you're looking for.
1: Yeah, and so many times it's not even it's not even that they don't like it but you want them to like it as much as you do and sometimes it's not even that they sometimes it's just that they don't read it you know if you send send someone a a short story usually they'll read it but if you send someone a full length film or a novel then it's a lot harder for get to get people to get all the way through it and you can take that as oh well if they didn't get all the way through it then they then it must not be very good um and certainly you should explore that possibility. I'm not saying that's not a possibility. I'm saying, but but I am saying that just because the few people you send it to don't respond to it doesn't mean that it's not good. You know, you may just need to find someone who's, whose tastes are more like yours.
0: That's really good advice and definitely something that young authors can grab a hold to because it's, that is a major lesson along the journey.
1: Yeah. It could be very discouraging if you, if you, you know, but for instance, if I give something to my father, who's not a literary guy, you know, he's not a big reader of classic literature. He's probably not going to respond to it. um, In especially if say like if it's an animal fantasy story, He's not going to respond to that, you know? So you got you to make sure the person you're giving your material to uh, is, is the right audience.
0: Absolutely. Did you have any mentors that helped you along your writing journey?
1: Ooh, very good question, Randy. These are all great questions. Um, so I have had really good teachers who've encouraged me. Again, my, my, my father taught me that you can make a living at this and that, you know, that uh, you know, it takes discipline. Always emphasize, be disciplined. Discipline, discipline, discipline. So that was absolutely crucial. And then, yeah, some great teachers. Miss Meeks in first grade, April Squires in high school, certainly there's been big influences but not personal mentors does that make sense a lot of people have influenced my writing friends those kind of things have influ- influenced my voice but not in the sense that they've said hey this is how you be a better writer
0: sure and i would i would go as far as lumping friends into that category too just for the inspiration and the the kind of the, the aspect.
1: Yeah, so so certainly my brother Dave has influenced me. There's, I guess, uh, four people who've really influenced my comedic voice, which is my friend Mike Gallagher, my friend Mike Blair, James Alexander, Stephen Nelson. These are all people who uh, are friends. And then my brother Dave, primarily, as far as people I know. Obviously, every person is a amalgamation is that the word i think so <laughs> uh of all the influences around them but but those are the personal influences who really influence my comedic voice at least
0: excellent and i definitely give you bonus points for the uh, sat word amalgamation <laughs> <laughs> thanks so joel let's talk about the opportunity I know in the beginning you kind of gave a little bit of a summary, but I want to know what is the premise of the book and what is it about?
1: The book is about a boy in a tree who's using the tree kind of as a watchtower to spy out onto the ocean um, that uh, where a ship, a famous ship called The Opportunity with Golden Sails is coming that very day to pick him up to take him away out into the world so he can make his fortune and find his his uh, lot in life. And so he's very excited about this. He's waiting with great anticipation. He feels happy about this. But as he waits, um, he's, he begins to have doubts and fears, and and not that he even realizes it, but, for instance, he sees – a little dot on the horizon he jumps out of the tree and runs down the hill to go meet his you know the to go with to the docks to wait for a ship to come in but then he stops and thinks oh maybe what i saw was just a bird that i took for the ship or yeah maybe i'm just imagining that i saw something and really i didn't see anything at least not an actual ship so he goes back to the tree and then so he says, Well, I'm gonna to wait to make sure this, this dot that I see out there is really a ship. And so he waits until it's clearly a ship. And then then his next doubt is, Well, maybe it's not the ship. Maybe it's just a ship. And so the story continues with him having all these various doubts and fears that this isn't actually the opportunity that it's just, or, or that it's not going to come. And and it's a, it's a book about how we second guess ourselves and how we delay and how we make excuses for not going for what we want. And I won't tell you how it ends obviously, but but <laughs> the whole thing and the whole thing is written in verse in kind of, again, a, a Dr. Seuss style, but a little bit more elevated, uh, you know, it's it probably not appropriate for, kids who are younger than third grade or something. I mean, unless they're really precocious and very good readers, it's the, the language is a little bit more elevated than your standard Dr. Seuss.
0: Sure. It sounds like the story is a really good metaphor for life.
1: Yeah. And again, what's crazy is I didn't set out going, I'm going to write a metaphor for life or you know, anything like that. I just, the story took hold of me. And then, and then as I, Uh, wrote it and as I started sharing it around first of all I was surprised by it which is always a great thing if if that happens in your writing but then then other people were just you know super surprised by it
0: yeah I uh, saw the reviews online and it looks like there's really uh, a lot of people that are really gravitating towards your book
1: yeah, it's been, it's been it's been thrilling right now, and and I know this won't come out for a few few weeks probably, but right now we have over five hundred backers and uh, on Kickstarter, and what was really rewarding for me is for people and, and people will be able to see this video anytime. So just to see people react to it, you know, strangers, because again, one of the the other struggles when you give people your writing is they may love it. But if they're your friend or if they're your family member, then you, then you start second-guessing. You go, yeah, everyone loves this, but they're all related to me. So, you know, it can't be that good. Um, <laughs> and you second-guess yourself. And, and, and that probably, by the way, is a good instinct, especially if they're related to you because, you, you know, you never know uh, unless they're a person who has in the past told you, you know what, I think this stinks and you know that they give you honest feedback, it's hard to know. But when I saw complete strangers, people who I'd never met before, crying and just saying, this book, I want to share this with my father. I want to share this with, I have 10 people who I want to share this with. I want to give this to my friends. So she, she stops delaying on her dreams. When I saw people reacting to it who had never met that way, then I just go, well, okay, finally I've created something that really moves people. And that's very rewarding.
0: And that is a tremendous feeling, I know. So how would you describe your typical reader out there? What is their age group?
1: So for the opportunity, I would say the, again, people, a a child in third grade will be able to understand this story and enjoy it. But the ideal readers of this are I think people in high school. Now again, the older you are, the more you'll appreciate it. So a kid in middle school will appreciate it more than a third grader because I think in kids in middle school, that's when they start to get a sense of themselves and the the the, the larger life that they have to lead. It's when they really get a grasp of okay, in you know in in five to ten years, I'm going to be an adult here. You know that's I think when they start grasping the the larger narrative of their lives. And so I think that's really where it will start to take hold, but it's really ideal for high school graduates, college graduates, anyone facing a new uh, opportunity in life, whether that's a marriage or a job or they're going abroad or maybe, maybe a, a person who's thinking about pursuing a goal or dream but is hesitating. So really, as far as who will understand it and enjoy it, it runs from third grade on up. And and again, the the older person is, I mean, people who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s are the ones often who end up sobbing as they read this because they relate to it so much. And they go, "I've, I've made this mistake so often in my life. And they become the most profound fans of the book and say, I want to give this to everybody so they don't make that same mistake in their life. So, yeah, I hope that answers your question.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it's a good companion to Oh, The Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss.
1: Yes, it is. And people have compared it to that, again, because of the rhyming, and again, also because it's motivational. There is an important difference, though. And, and that is, again, one, the, the form is a little bit more elevated. And uh, my brother and I were talking about this recently. Oh, The Places You'll Go is a little more rah-rah. You know, it's a little more of a cheerleader book. And that kind of says, hey, your dreams will come true. In fact, it, it even says in in there in one point that, you know, Wherever you go, you'll be the best, that kind of thing. And I think it's a really good book to make people dream. But yes, so it's a good companion book for that. I would say the opportunity is the follow-up book to that, which says, okay, now you have your dream. Now, don't make the mistake that so many of us do, especially the millennial generation who's been told, you know what? Just go out there and all your dreams are going to come true. The opportunity says, no, you have to make your dreams come true. And guess what? Also, there's some opportunities in life that sometimes when they're gone, they're gone. And you're just going to miss out. So don't get caught regretting, you know. And so it's kind of the more realistic follow-up to, oh, the places you'll go.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a great distinction. So, Joel, tell me about the illustrator of your book.
1: Yes, her name is Anya Tomicka, is how you say her name. And um, Anya is Polish-born, and she's a very talented artist. The the illustrations of the opportunity are done in ink. Uh, Some are done only in ink, and some are watercolor and ink. She's very talented. She studied in the academies of art in both Venice and Florence, Italy, and she still lives and paints in Italy. Although she comes to the U.S. occasionally for art shows, so she's very talented, and I'm very lucky and blessed to have her be willing to to work on uh, my book. She also does oil paintings. None of the illustrations in the opportunity are that, but she's very talented painter as well of oils yeah very talented very talented young lady
0: absolutely and in me taking a look at the illustrations i was blown away they were completely just inspiring and you really felt the heart of uh of the actual idea that she was conveying
1: and you have to realize you know with with these kind of books yeah that you you nailed it randy the the heart comes out in the illustrations with people when they just read the text. Well, the fact of the matter is uh, imagine me trying to sell a book. That's a, it's a long poem. It takes about 10 minutes to read. It's it's kind of, I call it an epic poem, not in the sense of Homer, but it's a very long poem. But imagine me trying to sell a book that that's a long story, but not illustrated like that. I mean, it just, it just wouldn't happen. she, She brought it to life, so to speak, and really makes it so people can engage with the message. So I'm very grateful to her for that.
0: And we talked about you kind of being a young kid and watching the words come up on the computer and writing throughout your school years. What advice would you give the younger version of yourself who's just starting out as a writer?
1: I think the advice that I would give... Him is the advice that I still have to remind myself. (laughs) So it's the younger self, but I haven't really changed since I was seven years old, I don't think. And I think my wife would tell you that's true. The advice is write every day. You know, and when I say every day, I don't mean every day. If if writing five days a week, you know, and you take off weekdays, that's fine, or preferably six days a week. But write every day and be okay with it being bad writing. Because the the number one thing that that stops writing is people get discouraged because what they're writing is bad. So then they stop. And and I'm talking about me. I get discouraged if, if I spend a day or two or three in a row, and it all sucks. And then I'm more likely to take a day off. And then it's harder for me to get back into writing because I'm worried it's going to keep sucking. So the advice is be okay with writing terrible, you know, because if you're not okay with that, you're never going to finish. And if you never finish, you're never going to get it to where you can improve it. Uh, You know, once you finish, then you can rework it and make it good. You know, so many years, I, I am the boy in this story, by the way, you know, I mean, I didn't write it that way, but every, because everyone is, you know, so many years of my life have been lost because I just got discouraged and thought this will never be good or this will never get finished or, or whatever. And the delay has been one of a decade at least because, because of discouragement. So don't get discouraged. Just keep plugging away.
0: Yeah, that is incredible advice. I know that every writer out there can relate and especially in the beginning, that is, that's what it takes to get through. Yeah. So, Joel, um, I know that your Kickstarter has recently been very successful. Where can readers buy the opportunity?
1: So they can buy the opportunity on two places: Amazon, Amazon.com, and. PrintImmortal.com, which Print Immortal is my publishing company that I'm launching, kind of simultaneously, and so they can buy the buy it at Amazon or PrintImmortal.com. And just to clarify about the publishing company, that is not a it's not a uh, vanity press or anything like that. It's or or just a vehicle for self-publishing. You know, it's an actual publishing company that. You know, pays authors and illustrators advances for their, for their work if we decide, in fact, that we are going to publish it. So it's a, it's a legit publishing company.
0: Excellent. And we've got your website linked up on the Creative Writing Magic website and our Twitter feed. Okay, great. Thank you. Sure. And Joel, before I close the show, is there any other final thoughts you'd like to share with the audience?
1: No, just just don't delay on your dreams. Get after them because you, you, your dreams will never go away, but your opportunity to exer- execute those dreams
0: may. Great advice. Okay, so that's all the time we have for today. Joel, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Thanks, Randy. And thank you, listener. You make this all possible. If you like this podcast, feel free to support us on Patreon and consider subscribing. The link to Patreon is in the description. Also, if you're an aspiring writer and would like to learn more about writing coaching services, contact us on the Creative Writing Magic website. And also, be sure to subscribe to the email newsletter to receive email notifications when new episodes are available. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Stay inquisitive, support the arts, and keep creating. Bye for now.